Good morning, church. Good morning, live stream. I'll pretend you said good morning. As, second, as uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy verse 1 from last week, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. What a greeting. Why don't we greet each other like that more often? That's my challenge for you so far. Next week, walk into church and say grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. As Mr. Curran had stated, my name is Alex Harth. My lovely wife Katie is here today. Um, we love being a part of LCC. We've in some way had the privilege of serving with the youth of LCC for quite some time now. Um, since I was here last time, our family has expanded by four little paws. His name is Sully Harth, and we got him on Friday. So of course, I have to take every opportunity to brag about that little cute guy back there. And be honest with you and tell you, I am missing him a little bit this morning. <laughs> anyway, last time I was here, I had the privilege of preaching from Hebrews in the Jesus is Better series. And we talked about Jesus is the better high priest this morning. New series. Same message is still true, but slightly different. We're here to talk about the shameless good deposit of our, our gospel. Last week... Um, Mr. Yuli gave a great message on the deposit of faith, and he opened up the first chapter of 2 Timothy. And we kind of come to this conclusion, both from his message and from the sermon series title, that the overall theme that we're attacking, the overall theme that we're, we're working with, is defending the gospel from false teachers. This week, we'll be concluding chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, and we'll be taking a closer look at what it looks like to be unashamed of the gospel and to guard this good deposit in a world full of corruption and false teaching. This series rather aligns pretty seamlessly with your one of Hebrews. Over the last year, you, myself, and everyone participating in that series has gotten a closer look at the richness of the gospel, of the richness of our Savior. And now, in 2 Timothy, Paul advises all believers to guide, to rather guard that rich deposit of faith, to stand firm in our faith, and to not compromise over the gospel. Paul was writing to Timothy to encourage him to stand firm in his faith and continue guarding and proclaiming that good deposit of the gospel. Paul urges Timothy to maintain his faith and be pursuant of the Lord. And Paul charges Timothy to step up and to fill a void that would soon be left when Paul departed from the earth. However, unlike Timothy today, we may be under some quarantine conditions. We may find ourselves distancing ourselves from others, distancing ourselves from other families, even as we sit here and for you at home and on live stream. Certainly, this type of isolation was a common occurrence in the life and public ministry and imprisonment of Paul. Not so much for Timothy. But for us, Paul writing this letter and Paul writing to us today, if in any event, further qualifies him because he knew what it was like to be under quarantine, to be isolated and imprisoned. And in this corrupt world and setting of spiritual isolation, we must recall the magnitude in the power of the unchained gospel. 
we, every one of us, are called to step out in faith and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not just to proclaim it, to do so unashamed. Amen? Let's pray for us this morning. Father God, you are so good. And your Holy Spirit is good. And we're so thankful for your son and for the sacrifice he made so that we may be reunited with you one day. Father, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful to be here with this congregation. I'm thankful to be speaking from your word this morning. And I'm thankful for everybody here and on the live stream. Father, you are good. And even amidst the craziness of the world, you are at work. And your gospel is just as true now as it ever is. Father, we love you so much. I ask that you fill this place this morning. Would you fill every house where the live streamers are? Would your presence be known? It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read this morning's passage? Again, it seems to be every time I'm here, I mean to write what page it is on, and the Bible's provided, so happy hunting if you forgot your Bible today. Starting in 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel of the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave in us, Christ Jesus, before the ages began. And now, which has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed as preacher, apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among them are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him mercy. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered in Ephesus. You may be seated. This morning, we find ourselves discussing this concept of guarding the shameless deposit that Paul is talking about in this passage. And even further so, within the passage, Paul highlights three areas of shamelessness. Shamelessness. First, he discloses that believers like himself and Timothy should not be ashamed of suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he moves on, and Paul reminds believers of what ministry without shame should look like. And finally, he closes this introductory portion of his letter to Timothy and illustrates what it looks like for a believer to be unashamed of the gospel through the character or the person on Church, this morning, there's no shame in suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. There's no shame in suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Paul begins this tone in verse 8, where we find that we should be unashamed of our Savior. In verse 8, Paul begins this section with an exhortation not to be ashamed of our Savior or himself for the following and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, do not be ashamed to identify yourself with the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the cross that purchased our salvation. As 1 Corinthians 1.18 and verse 21 states, it is the cross that stands as the dividing line between saint and sinner. It's what happened on that cross that day at Calvary that makes the difference in every believer's life. Instead of shame, let's find glory in Jesus' loving sacrifice and the suffering that took place at the cross. As Paul continues to state in Galatians 6.14, let's boast only in one area, only in one area, the cross of our Savior. Paul also tells us in verse 8 that there is no shame in identifying ourselves with the gospel message. Although it may bring division, yes, sometimes affliction, persecution, it is a critical message. And it acts as the stabilizing roots, the foundation to our faith. It's this very message that penetrates hearts, brings us to our feet, and praises the risen king. And to conclude verse 8, Paul warns Timothy to not be ashamed of, the pe- of God's people, including those like Paul who are imprisoned for the cause of Jesus Christ. We should never be ashamed to identify ourselves with the crowd that is serving the Lord. In my opinion, what a finer crowd to serve with. Even if those people in the crowd may be what DC Talk classifies as Jesus freaks, if they're saved, even if they're not saved, they're family. One of the most significant things a believer can do is gather and form community with a bunch of folks who have a passion for the gospel and a love for the Lord. Is that not what's happening here today? Is that not what's happening with your families in your home this morning? After verse 8, Paul continues in 9 through 10. Instead of being unashamed of our Savior, now we find that we are to be unashamed of the salvation that he provides. In verses 9 and 10, Paul reminds Timothy that we are saved. This word is in the past tense meaning it's a completed act. Praise God. We've been delivered from the depths of sin and are saved from the wrath of God. In other terms, Romans 6.23 says, believers have been rescued from death and given life because of his salvation. The Lord's salvation is precious because it's complete. It's perfect. It's eternal. It delivers our soul. Oops, that's a microphone and forever changes our life. Why would anybody be ashamed of that? If you are saved this morning, there is a lot of joy, a lot of praise, and an abundance of thankfulness. Amen? Amen. The writer of Hebrews reminds us in chapter 2, verse 3, that we have a great salvation. The word great refers to the magnitude of that salvation. It's so glorious and so vast in what it offers us that we haven't even begun to comprehend all that that means or all that that will make us in Jesus Christ. 
Ephesians 2.7 indicates that we will, it will take an eternity for the Lord to fully reveal all that we have and all who we are in him. What great things we have to look forward to. Amen? Timothy is also reminded that our salvation and calling have nothing to do with who we are or anything that we may have done on our own accord. We are saved fully by grace. We are given a holy calling or purpose as a result of this grace, even, as Paul states, before the ages began. Before you and I were conceived, before humanity was created, grace had already been extended to you and I through Jesus Christ. Even though God knew all about us and all the things that we would do, he still extends this saving grace toward us. It is his grace that loves us, that pursues us, calls us, saves us, keeps us, and will one day reunite us with him. Who we are and what we have or what we have done has nothing to do with it. In fact, according to Isaiah in chapter 64, we find that our works did nothing, actually, but condemn us. Salvation is pure grace from start to finish. Paul concludes verse 10 by telling Timothy that through his suffering on the cross, Jesus abolishes death. The word abolish means to put an end to, or one of my favorites, to render inoperative. Death, one of the most dreaded enemies of humanity, was rendered ineffective when Jesus rose after three days. Amen? For those who come to know Jesus Christ and accept his salvation, death is rendered inoperable, inoperative. What an awesome Savior. And as we keep moving, as Paul keeps moving through this, the message only continues to drive deeper. In verses 11 and 12, we find that as believers, we ought to be unashamed of our service. Well, what does that look like? Paul, t- Paul tells Timothy that it's the gospel that compels him to serve the Lord. It is the message of grace that motivates him to pour out his life for the glory of God. Here, Paul employs his own life in relationship with the Lord as a word of encouragement for all of those who actively serve the Lord, too. Verse 11 reminds us that the positions we occupy or work within the Lord's kingdom are not of our own choosing. The word appointed appears here, and it appears in a passive voice, which indicates that God was the one who chose Paul to be a preacher, an apostle, a teacher. The whole point here is that the Lord chooses when, where, and how we serve him. Our job is to be available, willing, and faithful. Let us not be ashamed of the appointment that the Lord gives us in his kingdom. Rather, let us determine that by his grace, we will fulfill the call he has on each one of our individual lives. Whatever your appointment by the king is, I'm sure it's substantial. And it is to be fully completed and faithfully executed so that the Lord receives the glory that he is due. Nothing is wasted. Amen? Let's continue to verse 12. Paul tells us that he is suffering for his adoption and his personal testimony of the gospel. He was in prison because he had faithfully served the Lord. 
This is a sobering truth, and service, and this is a sobering truth about service to the Lord. Those who will faithfully serve Him will certainly be tested and tried, and perhaps even afflicted. However, it is this pressure that the Lord uses to mold us into His image. We should not be surprised or ashamed when suffering comes our way as a servant of the Lord, whatever that may look like. As one of my undergraduate professors always said, he would say we must never forget that suffering is a part of the plan that God has for us, and it merely allows God to paint on a fresh canvas the colors of his grace. Paul closes this section with verse 12 in a profound statement of his personal faith. He tells Timothy and all modern readers of God's word that he is not ashamed for he knows who he has served and who he has believed. It is this certainty and shamelessness that Paul encourages Timothy and really all believers to emulate. After all, it is only with this certainty and faith that believers are able to go ahead and guard that good deposit that has been entrusted to them. To guard it from all of the manipulation and the false teaching that crowds out this world. We have been entrusted to fulfill this task. So, we must commit our lives and we must commit our actions and we must commit our service to Jesus Christ. We must commit everything to him and continue serving him for his eternal glory. How does that feel? That's a lot of weight in a few short verses, but it's a lot of truth. A truth that Paul finds so critical not only to write to Timothy, but critical for us to be studying. And in another way, he shows that critical nature is when we start to begin to look at what shameless ministry looks like. Certainly, if we are unashamed of the gospel, and if we are unashamed of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and if we are unashamed of our appointment of service to him, our ministry, everything that happens as far as message and ministry is concerned, should also be shameless. When we arrive at verse 13, Paul switches gears to this reality. Paul's speaking less on the topic in shame and suffering over who Jesus is and who the gospel is, and what the gospel is, rather. And he speaks more about he and Timothy's ministry. And this can quite easily correlate to our ministry today. This, this discussion that Paul starts produces some valuable insight for all modern ministry and teaching. Through these verses, we learn that shameless ministry requires a willingness, willingness to accomplish two things. First, Timothy and all of us must be willing to potentially subject ourselves to suffer persecution for believing and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Persecution is a big word, but it can take the form of being the brunt of the jokes at work. Or it can take the form of having to stand firm under the public eye for what you believe, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And second, Timothy and all believers must remain faithful 
to that gospel message, that when put under pressure, they would not crumble. Paul defines the gospel message two ways in this verse, in verse in this section. In verse 13, the gospel message is communicated as the pattern of sound words that Paul has modeled to Timothy. And in verse 14, the gospel message is discussed as the good deposit entrusted to us. In both cases, it becomes apparent that the gospel message has to be at the core of every ministry and of every message. Believers maintain the choice whether our ministry and teaching conforms to the gospel pattern or departs from it. Our teaching can either take from the deposit that we are entrusted with, or it can take from another source. However, at the center of these verses, Paul gives us a guide for ministry and teaching, and that guide is the gospel. In verse 14, Paul also issues a direct command to Timothy and all modern believers and teachers. He firmly exhorts us, he firmly exhorts Timothy to guard that good deposit, to guard that shameless deposit. Paul highlights, I think it's safe to say that the corruption and the decadence that we observe in this world, in this modern age, was also existing and observable in the time of Paul and Timothy. That's why he was in chains to begin with. Although centuries ago, there was just as much of a need to defend and to guard an event that had really relatively just taken place. Paul also highlights this defense in his next letter, Titus. In Titus 1.9, when discussing qualifications for elders, here he states, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to guide and give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. Our responsibility as believers and as leaders and as everybody who worships the Lord is not only to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're called, when necessary, to guard and defend that message. Given the confrontational setting that this defense or guard may or may not often place us in, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? when going over countless release meetings and talking about how we were going to do certain things as leaders and how we were going to communicate if issues arose, I always, it's ingrained in my memory, in settings of confrontation, rely on the Spirit and handle it biblically and with grace. I think that's exactly what Paul is trying to communicate here when he says that we are to undertake this task of defending and guarding that gospel message amidst a corrupt and dark world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And to close this chapter, to close this exposition of what it looks like to be unashamed and what it looks like to pursue a shameless ministry, we get a perfect example of a shameless believer. Someone who is already exemplary of what Paul was trying to uh, communicate to Timothy. 
To close this chapter, Paul reminds Timothy and all believers of a group of believers in Asia. Verses 15 and 16 tell us that nearly all of these believers had turned away from Paul. They've ceased communication with him, and they've abandoned the work that he has done in public ministry and the proclamation of the gospel for no other reason than for him being imprisoned. It's widely, as I was researching, it's widely thought by biblical scholars that call references, I'm going to try to say the name again, Phagellus and Hermogenes here because they were widely regarded as leaders of this group of believers in Asia. These leaders and almost all of the believers in Asia were ashamed of Paul's dedication to the gospel. They were ashamed of the actions he took to live out the gospel. They were ashamed that Paul took every opportunity to proclaim that message, no matter the cost. These believers were the exact opposite of what Paul was encouraging Timothy, what Paul was encouraging all of us to be. They were corrupted by their shame. As the ESV commentary wittingly writes, and I love this, when the going got tough, these believers got going. They left, they turned away. These believers were unwilling to endure the full scope of suffering that may or may not have been involved in Paul's ministry of the gospel. Their faithfulness to Paul and the gospel message proved to be rather shallow or lacking. Nevertheless, nearly all had turned away and rejected Paul, all except for one man, Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul, nor the gospel that he readily proclaimed. The latter half of verse 16 that he was, says he was not ashamed of Paul's chains. Rather, Onesiphorus pursues and seeks Paul out. He took care of Paul's needs when he was imprisoned in Rome. This pursuit made Onesiphorus and his family a large target. Perhaps this is why he says mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus knew the reality and the implications that would accompany his outward ministry and his outward proclamation of the gospel. For he and both his family. Yet he embraced Paul anyway. He embraced the message anyway. He proclaimed the gospel anyway. He stood firm and guarded the good deposit that was entrusted to him. No matter the cost or the risk, when everything else and everyone else had failed and rejected Paul, this one faithful believer embraced and cared for him. Onesiphorus is the epitome and the prime example of faith and ministry and what it looks like to be unashamed of our Savior and the gospel. He saw the sacrifice and decided to take it anyway, to make it anyway. What an example to follow. It kind of hits you right here. Makes you think, am I exemplary of being unashamed? Am I exemplary of, no matter the cost, pursuing and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? Which... Leads me to, I guess, a challenge for you all this week. 
my challenge for you this week is a rather evident and simple one. As you go out into our broken and corrupt world this week, take the awesome truth of the gospel and Jesus Christ's salvation with you. Live this truth in such a way that it radiates from your being so that folks see your joyful faithfulness, your willingness to proclaim the gospel, to guard the good deposit. We all certainly have areas of our lives that make us shamed. Mine's at 12 o'clock at midnight going to the freezer and eating ice cream right out of the container. And then my wife waking up the next day and going, what happened to the ice cream? We all have areas of our life that make us shamed. The good news is the Lord can and will still use them, use you in spite of those areas. You are vessels of light in this dark world, and you are charged with the outward proclamation of our Savior's gospel. What a deposit to be entrusted with. Would you join me in prayer? Father, you're good, and your gospel is even better. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for this this entrustment of your gospel and this what should be a pursuit of proclaiming that whenever and wherever possible. Lord, I'm thank you that, thankful that, we, that you use us, that you use me, Father, of all people, to come up here and bring a message to a congregation, congregation Father. You are good. And your gospel is good. And we thank you for your faithfulness and for your pursuit of us so that we may go out and pursue you and your gospel. Thank you for all that you are and thank you for all that you are making us to be. It's in your name we pray. Amen.